Right, so what we're going to do today, so I want to talk about why your voice is important and I want to give you some tips on how you might find your voice. There's also a third part which I'm not expected to get to today, um, largely because we're on a shorter sermon service and also because I haven't prepared for it. Um, but the third part is how to use your voice and, and maybe we'll come back to this at another time. So my son is a, is a deep sleeper and he's a drinker. A deep sleep drinker means that um, for a number of years I would wake up, or before I went to bed, in fact actually when I woke up in the night, I would lift him and carry him to the toilet and he wouldn't really wake up. But um, he started to say to me, as I, as I put him back into bed and he's done this kind of sleepwalk toileting system, he'd say either, love you daddy, or I think, I think, and I was trying to remember what he said, he'd say, thank you daddy. I thought, isn't that nice, what he says when he's all, you know, fast asleep. Now, he's a bit older now, and I haven't had to do that. Um, he also, he gets certain words stuck in his head that he likes. He likes words. So, for a number of months, his favourite word was chicken, which is actually quite a nice word to say, chicken. And so, everything was chicken. And just, you know, you'd hear it shouted at random points. My daughter, she'd be singing... La, 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 oh Jesus, I love you, I'm beautiful, like that. And my son, chicken, chicken, or Chadwell Heath. Again, it has that sort of, and it would become a name. So it's a, you're a Chadwell Heath. Shut up, you Chadwell Heath. And, and over the last week, his favourite word has become sucker. Sucker! Like that. And so last night, you know, it's got cooler, and I went into his bedroom, he's asleep, I just adjust his duvet to get him warm. And he says to me, sucker, while he's asleep. I laugh and he wakes up and says, what are you laughing at, daddy? Bless him. Anyway, it's amazing the things we say. And uh, Lisa um, Crosby, Webb, Adams, 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 there we go. Lisa Adams was sharing her story a little while ago. And I'm going to get her to share that story again. Right, so Lisa shared her story. And I'm going to get her to share it um, again for us in a moment. But as she sat down, the word that I felt God say was, speak, Lisa. Now, bearing in mind she'd already spoken, you might question why God was saying that. But I felt God was saying it not actually to Lisa, but pr primarily to us. So this morning, I'm gonna, the topic or the title is, speak, Lisa. So, Lisa didn't know the whole morning was about her. Um, Lisa, come give us a little update on your story. Um, there we go. There's Lisa with the leader of the council. So Lisa, you were in Valence Park and uh, there was a flood at Castle Point and you said to everyone, let's go to Castle Point for the mums and toddlers type thing. People weren't keen. Why weren't they keen? Yeah, so there was a flood at Castle and so we decided that we needed to ha go somewhere else because it had just happened. So we, went, we decided we'd go to Valence Park because it's very close. You can just walk there from Castle Point. And they were keen on Valence Park. Well, we got there, but yeah, people were complaining, just saying it's very grey and things are broken and nothing gets replaced and it's just not a very nice atmosphere to be in. So what did you do about it? So that upset me because it's a local park, it's where Lisa and Luke are their first time on the swing and they learnt to ride their bike. So it's a special place to me, but I did realise, you know, when someone speaks negatively about something, you think, yeah, this is true. And it's a very popular park. There's lots of people there, even though it was horrible. And I was just thinking, this is not good enough for people in the community. So I was just kind of thinking about it and not really praying, but thinking a lot about it. And God was just saying to me, you know, you could 
raise funds for it. So I was thinking about other parks that I've been to that had like, you know, funded by the National Lottery. And I started thinking, well, maybe I could raise some funds. And God was just saying to me, just ask. Because it says in the Bible, doesn't it? If you ask, then you will receive. And I just had complete faith that if I asked, then it would happen. So you asked. You asked for a number of years, right? Yes. It took a while. Yes. But how much have you now raised? It's about a quarter of a million. And we've heard that before, but it's good, isn't it? Um, And so now the park looks quite different? Very different. It's very, very colourful. It used to be grey. It kind of just looked like something that you would see after a disaster had happened. It was just horrible. (laughs) And now it's really bright and colourful and attractive and looks fun. Cool. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So Lisa was obedient to what God called her to do. And she stepped forward in that and raised... Did you say half a million? Quite good. Okay, that's what I said up there. Good. Um, quarter of a million. And the reverberations of that have rippled across Barkin and Dagnam Council. And I often hear Lisa referred to as councillors talk about one of our residents has raised quarter of a million pounds and transformed the park. And I say to them, yeah, and she, she was my friend first, though. Just so it's you know, marked for record, I knew Lisa before anyone in Lifeline Church did. It, and it, it's, it's true, and I told someone the story of how I met Lisa in the Ford and Firkin pub in Romford. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe it could be 20 years ago. Couldn't quite be 20 years ago, could it? Yeah, it was, which is amazing, bearing in mind I'm not much older than 19. Um, but there we go. Right, um, so that's a great story. And Lisa put her ideas into action. And that's something that I think we're really good at as a church. We're a people of action. And that's something that characterises us. We don't just talk about things. It's kind of one of our values is to do things. And the old adage that actions speak louder than words is something that's very strong for us as a people. Um, You won't hear us flapping our jaws a lot. Um, We'll always tend to put our money where our mouth is. And if we feel to do something, we would tend to have the integrity to do it, to act on it. So I think that's really important. And I was reminded of a, a scripture from Matthew 28. I've got it up there. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. I've added a bit. Use words if you have to. Has anyone heard that bit added to it before? Yeah, I had the impression that that was from a... I picked that up from an old delirious track or something. Is anyone else? Anyone ring a bell with anyone? No? I'm not seeing James Watts. He would know if that was the case. Anyway, the idea was that we should be preaching the gospel. We should be, I suppose the term would have been Bible bashing. But then this movement came that actually it's not just about what you say, it's about what you do. So someone added to this, which you, know, you shouldn't add to the words of Jesus, but you know, the further illustration, use words if you have to. The whole idea that we should put our actions into words is really important. And that's something that, as I say, we have embodied. It's something that many years ago, um, Hugh Osgood um, brought to us. Uh, I think we were at Castle Point. It might have been a leaders' gathering. And I think he spoke from this particular scripture. In fact, I know he spoke from this scripture. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And this word came either before we started Lifeline Projects or at the, at the early days of it. And we were struggling to kind of move away from a traditional 
evangelical approach where we have to be presenting the gospel and working out what it should mean today um, with new revelation. And Hugh, Hugh Hosgood's been a good friend of us and brought many key strategic words to us um, in his kind of prophetic teaching ministry over the years. And this one was really essential. It's coming out of this that we started to pick up the phrase, particularly in Lifeline Projects, um, that we should introduce people to the kingdom and then meet the king. This idea of letting people benefit from the light. And we drew a lot from what Richard Cole did in Sierra Leone. And when I, Whenever I talk about Lifeline Projects, I talk about Sierra Leone and what Richard Cole was doing. And one time when I visited Sierra Leone, it was after the death of Richard, there was a huge generator there. And uh, the guy said to me, oh, the generator's too expensive to run, so we don't use it. So they have no electricity and a huge generator that they couldn't use because it was too big. And it seemed a bit useless to me. Why have a generator that's too big and too expensive to run? And I said, well, Richard Cole's vision was that we would literally bring light to the community. So he invested in this, um, this generator so that we could do that. That was an interesting vision. And uh, oftentimes, in fact, when Richard was um, rehabilitating boy soldiers, and we were very invested in that work here, um, we wanted to do something. We wanted to replicate what he was doing in Sierra Leone, but there weren't any boy soldiers here at the time. Quite different the idea that we will copy something from Africa and repeat it here. But it's really important, um, part of our values, again, that we would understand not just what we can give to our international friends, but what we can share and gain from our international friends. So Richard Cole set this model of sharing the light so people might see the good deeds. And so we rolled that out in Lifeline Projects. And Lifeline Projects, if you don't know, is our kind of one of our, our community services, community programs um, that we run. We have a two and a half million pound turnover, 60 staff, and we do a number of different projects. But it started um, with a member of the church. First, this, this, this idea of introducing people to the kingdom and then meet the king. Um, this, this desire to repeat what Richard Cole was doing in Sierra Leone, how he was seeking to bring light to the community. And so we started to see, well, what can we do? And off the back of that, one of the members of this church um, was dropping her kids off at the school gates and found that there was lots of parents that didn't speak English. So she invited them back to her house and started to teach them English. But she didn't even have her English O-level. So she perhaps wasn't the best person to teach English. Her friend, was a, who is also in this church, not here today though, I don't think, um, was an English teacher on maternity leave, so she was really well placed to teach those English lessons. And then we found that the local college would send us a tutor and pay for the room hire. So we thought, well, that's really good. So the, the initial desire of that, that church member to teach people English then grew into the point that first she got her friend, who was an English teacher, to do it. So she, she first started doing it, using what was in her hands to do. And I believe she actually used the Bible as her text, which perhaps isn't the best text for teaching people English. Um, an interesting text to use if you're talking to people of other faiths as well. But, you know, she was bold and out there, and she used what was in her hand, and I think that's really important. And as she stepped out, she found better ways of doing it. So she brought her friend in, and then we found that we could get a qualified tutor to come in, and they would pay for the room hire. And then when we found the other local college would pay for our volunteers to get trained to become tutors, and then, pay, and then pay their salaries. So it kind of grew out of that very exciting 
kind of this idea of letting people walk in the light of the kingdom. Um, at the same time, another church member was listening to the radio and heard a story about teenage pregnancy. And uh, it was a call-in show, and it was all about sexual health. And that's all the comments that people were saying about. Um, this one is here, so she can check I get the story right. I've told it enough times, though. Um, and so she called in and gave her two pieces, because she felt there was something about aspiration that was missing from the, from the dialogue. And so before she knew it, she was then somehow sitting on the teenage pregnancy or parenting panel in Redbridge. And again, she was talking about what we should do, um, what should be done, this need for aspiration. And she realised at that point that she was talking and not doing. So she gave up her job and started volunteering going into local schools, which is exciting, and started the EARS Mentoring Programme, which with a different name essentially continues today. And that was, again, about, well, almost 20 years ago. Um, so that idea of sharing the light of the kingdom is really important. And that's why we have Lifeline Projects. It's to, to deliver on that idea that we want to introduce people to the kingdom and then meet the king. And it's not just about our beneficiaries. It's also about the policy makers and the, the government officials, the local authority people, the people like Darren Rodwell. That's him there, the leader of the council. We share this message with him. Right, so why your voice is important? Well, your voice is important because this is something that God's been saying to us as a church. We had this phrase come from somewhere, I can't remember where this particularly came from, about writing it down. And we've been seeking to be obedient in doing that, in writing it down. So one of the things that we've done, writing it down and making clear, and, and a particular thing that I think Dad felt um, a year, two years, multiple years ago, was about a bolder presentation of the gospel. So making sure we linked things together and let people see the role that the church has to play in all the different entities, all the different things that we're involved in. So to do that, we went through this rebranding exercise and, and we linked all the logos together um, to ensure that they, they had a similarity in how they appeared and we could ensure there was a similarity in the messages that we brought. Um, so things clearly linked with the church. And what I did um, from a Lifeline Project's perspective is whenever I met with, and now whenever I meet with anyone and I introduce them to Lifeline Projects, I talk about how Lifeline Project started, that it was started by Lifeline Church, and the role that Richard Cole had in inspiring us through Lifeline Network to do that. So we can see a clear link. So God's spoken to us about something, and these are just some examples about how we've done it. John even wrote a book, that idea of writing it down. When we say John wrote a book, because it's got his name on it, did you, did you use a pen at all? No. So he wrote his book, by, I believe, by speaking to Daniel, and Daniel actually did the pen work, as well as a number of others that then turned it into English, I'm sure. One of the things that we want to be ready for, and we're looking for opportunities to do, is see how we can present programmes to the church. What is it that we have, not just this church, but the, the broader Church of Christ? Um, so we are looking to see how we can how we can expose what we're doing as a church, the particular things that God's called us to, and how we can share those with others. We don't just want to write materials and they sit on the shelf, although God's word for us was to write it down, but we also want to make sure those materials are used. Now one of the things that Elspeth and I do, and probably more Elspeth than I, is um, write a number of bulletins, um, which are not, if you're not signed up for a Lifeline Project bulletins, you really should do, they're quite wonderful. Very well written. Most of them say they're written by me as well. And um, if it's well written, it's not written by me. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I said about meeting councillors, and that's some of the things that we've done from a kind of perhaps a leadership point of view. But the point is that you have a role in this, and so that's what I want to talk about today. So, Musharraf discovered his voice, and I think it's important that we discover our voice. So I've got some tips on how to do that um, in three points. Um, how to find your voice. First, there's something about choice, which we're going to look at. Then there's something about identifying your message. And finally, there's a piece about practice. So the first part of choice is, is believing you have a message. That is a choice to believe. And it's a choice to accept that if God said something to this house, if God's told us to write it down, if God's told us to have a clearer representation of the gospel, then that also relates to you as well. So you have to choose or dare to believe that you have a message. That's the first choice that I'd encourage you to make. And then we're going to come on to how to find that message. Um, when Hugh Osgood was, was with us in uh, January at the Leaders Weekend, he spoke about us being a church of living stones, that each member is a living stone. And he spoke about the difficulty of building with living stones because something living moves adapts and really when you build something you use bricks and you want them to be kind of still because if they move one brick depends on another it kind of you know building with jelly is not the best right but his idea about us being living stones was essentially that each one has a calling and and those callings can be different and changing but there should be some degree of unity within the house but so we are each living stones so for me that was a confirmation again that we each have a message so there's that choice to dare to believe. The next part of choice is to accept the call. So you believe it, and therefore you accept it, you decide to apply it. Now I remember, and I, I typed this, accept the call, and I thought about, um, hello, operator speaking, reserve charges call, do you accept? Does anyone remember that? No, see, young people won't even know that. Apparently it's a service that still exists. You can still do it. So when some people here were young, they didn't have mobile phones because they hadn't been invented then. Um, and, and sometimes you might carry on you an emergency 10 pence piece. 10 pence piece, if you were out and you got into trouble, you could go into a phone box, which is this box that has a telephone in it, and you put your 10 pence piece into the thing in the, you know, the, lift the phone up and you dial your number. But if you had lost your 10 pence piece, you could do a reverse charges call. And I, I researched this, you can still do this today. So here's a trick for you. I don't think you can do it from mobiles, though. I'm not sure. Um, but certainly from phone boxes. And if you dare go in a phone box, good luck to you. I mean, they were nasty back then, but I think they're rare. Enough. I haven't been in one for years. Anyway, so when you're at home, you pick up your phone and you say, hello, operator speaking, reverse charges call. Do you accept? Do they, say, do they say where the reverse charges call was from? And if it was international, it would be even more expensive, right? See, it's not something that happened often in our house, but it's expensive, it's actually cost you, the first call cost you over £5 if you accept that call. £5. So if you really don't like someone, you can just do reverse charges call and they have to pay the money for you. Um, but they do have the choice to accept. And so that's the point. It's about making that choice to accept the call. Um, by the way, if you're in the UK and you want to do reverse charges call, you just dial 100 for the operator. And then you, know, they, you tell them the number of the person you want to you know, get your own back. And if you're international, it's 155. I was, it's handy, Greg, where are you? It's handy, Greg, that you're here today. Because I, I had a situation once, um, 
a number of years ago, a friend of mine was staying at your house, and I was in Florida, and we'd gone to Cocoa Beach, um, and there was this little, in Florida, there's a beach that we used to go to as a family, and um, we'd go get donuts from this grocery store, and I wanted to phone my friend who was staying at Greg's house to check out how he was doing, because um, he'd been up to all sorts of mischief and such, and I thought it would be worse staying at the Webb's house as well. So I phoned him, and Annabelle, who I don't know, I mean, this is, I, I, she must have been three at the time, answered the phone. And she answered the phone and said, is it Daddy? And I said, no, can I, meh. So I tried again. Hello, can I please speak, is it Daddy? No. I must have tried about 20 times. It wasn't a collect call, I had this little card to use that billed me after. But every time the phone was answered, it billed at a premium rate. So it cost me about 60 quid, and I never did get to speak to my friend. So we have to dare to believe and accept the call, accept that there's something there for me to apply. Once you've accepted that, then you can move on. And you see, if you don't choose to believe, um, then you're never going to get to the first step. Um, if I don't believe that something is lost, I'm never going to look for it. You don't go searching for things that you know where they are, right? So there has to be some acceptance to be able to get to the first step. So the next part is about identifying your message. And this is the challenging part, um, the, the really tricky part. Now, this is about what comes out of you. The best way to identify what your message is is about what comes out of you when you're most relaxed. Perhaps when you're chatting to friends, um, the thing that is most passionate, um, the thing that motivates your actions. When you think about, why am I doing this? That's probably what your message is. The reason that sits behind that. I had the opportunity of going through this process with Elspeth, actually, who, who works at Lifeline Projects with me, and uh, helping me discover what, what my particular message was and is. And um, at one point she said to me, well, Nathan, you need to be twittering. Um, and I said, I haven't really got anything to say. And so she helped me work out what it is that was mine to say. And really, I knew it, and I've been saying it for the last... 20 years, which again is miraculous, means I'm only just over 19. Um, but there was a place of accepting what it was for me to say. Um, and this is about what's in your hand. So if we think about Exodus and, and um, Moses, and, and God was calling him to go free the Israelite people, and God said to him, what's in your hand? And he had a staff, and that's all he had. And sometimes we think we want to have something fantastic, we want to have maybe a sword, you know, if you're going up against Pharaoh, or probably a <coughs> atom bomb, atomic bomb, something like that, something more powerful. And all he had was this staff. And oftentimes we look what's in our hand, we look at the message that we might have, and we think, no, that's not the message. That's not, that's not good enough. Um, but actually the encouragement is that we use what God gives us to do. Like the story of the widow's might, that's the, the Luke 21, 1-4 um, reference. The widow was giving what she had to give, and that was the special thing to give. Remember Charlotte spoke about no comparisons, and I think that's really important we come back to that. We have to focus on what God's given us, and that's what's really important. There's a humility in that, of accepting, well, it might not be the, one, the most wonderful message, it might not sound amazing to me, but actually if that's what God's given me to say, then that's really important. And we have to be aware on that process of the possibility of the role that the discourager might apply. That voice of doubt that might say, no, that's a bit rubbish, that's not worth saying. But actually, if you come back to that's what God's given you to say, that's what he's put inside of you, and that's what comes out of you, 
then you need to decide to have a conviction that that's what God's given you to share. Um, there's something about recording it as well. Um, so whether you write it, whether you record it, whether you video it, but practising what your message is, practising what you have to say. And we've gone through that process a lot when we, when we learn how to share the gospel. There you go, practice. Um, so it's about being prepared. There's this quote here, people are rewarded in public for what they have practised in private. And I think that's really important. Oftentimes we look at people that do, are really good at doing something um, and we don't see how much they've practised it. So um, I think there's a story, Bend It Like Beckham, how he could do a, a kick a corner and get it in the goal by putting that spin on the ball. And we didn't see the amount of years that he spent practising that particular skill. There's an idea that it takes 10,000 hours practice to become perfect at something. Um, and Matt Thrift was telling me about a, a guy he used to work with who was a carpenter, and he could hang a door using hammer and chisel quicker than Matt could do it with all the power tools because he practiced, he'd spent that 10,000 hours. And 10,000 hours can be really boring, but I think it's really important. These are some examples of people that have practiced things. I'm going to skip over them very briefly because I'm coming to time. Um, but Anthony wanted to get better at vlogging. And so over two years, he did a weekly vlog to perfect his art. Charlotte um, felt God calling her to write things down and to work on her poetry. And actually out of that, we've had some really significant spoken words that she's brought to us. Um, Judy enjoyed Pilates and teaching and as she committed to doing those things that God had put in her, that desire she's found a way to serve the church through that so what I'm looking for is for us to commit to finding our voice to look at these steps and, and believe that we have a voice believe there's a message that God's given us and given you and to start to seek God to see how can I identify that message to be able to share it and benefit and be a part of the church.